riddle for our listeners in other countries to ponder with this episode. What do you miss the most about America? Well, according to Alexei from Ukraine, the answer is simple. Mexican food. Welcome to our sixth bonus food episode. And remember, if you can't find Mexican, there's always jellied meat. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange and sometimes food stories. Everyone was expecting me to eat not healthy food during my program. Yeah. <laughs> everyone, when I came, I came back to Ukraine, everyone asked me, you ate a lot of hot dogs and, and he- not healthy food. Uh, and I was saying, no, I didn't. I didn't try even one hot dog. This week, missing Mexican food in America, the search for the best jell-off rice, and tripping on the tongue of a goat. Join us on a journey around the world to tickle your taste buds. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. Exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. One of the professors who was uh, Kosa, which they pronounced Kosa, uh, it's clicking and I do a horrible job of it, but he brought in a goat's head and they had grilled the goat's tongue and goat eyeballs. They had fermented goat milk, which is a delicatessen liqueur, but it's, it's, uh, it's disgusting. Um, and then they had ginger beer. And so I, I tried all those. And so that's one of those moments where you really get pushed outside of your comfort zone and you think, I'm, I'm not going to eat a goat's tongue. This is below me, and I would never do this. And then you look and you say, well, for 5,000 or 2,000 or even 100 years, they've been eating this. And they're just mammals too. So if they can do it, I can do it. And I ate it. And it, it was really gummy and chewy, and it wasn't that great. But you, um, it's important to get outside of your comfort zone. I always say half of traveling is finding out you know, what you like. You like seeing the Eiffel Tower or you like seeing the Great Wall of China. The other half is finding out what you don't like. And it turns out goat's tongue is something I don't like, as well as fermented goat milk. But it's, I, it's part of their culture, and they, uh, it's very important to them. It's the way we you know, cook hot dogs. And if you went to one of them and probably said, eat a, you know, eat a, I don't want to pick on any company here, but, you know, you know, Oscar Mayer Wiener hot dog, they would say, oh, it's bad plastic. Get that thing away from me. Um, and then I'd say, oh, well, how dare I eat a goat's tongue? And I said, well, this is actually food. rice topped with some sort of nuts and or sauce are sort of the basic components to a Jordanian meal. But one really interesting thing about Jordan is that even though it is a small country, it actually has quite a diverse population. Um, So there are a number of Palestinians uh, or people of Palestinian heritage or origin who live there as well, who came there in 1948 and afterwards. And so Palestinian cooking differs 
in some pretty fundamental ways from Jordanian cooking. And so it was really neat to get exposure to Palestinian food as well. Um, and I also got exposure to Sudanese food through my students and Iraqi food. Everybody hosted us. It was so, I mean, it was really incredible, especially with regards to the refugee families who hosted us, you know? I mean, it was like I, folks were really, really struggling, I think, in their material circumstances, and yet they always made time and place for us to serve us meals because that was such a key way of interacting with people and showing appreciation and stuff and so you better believe I was going to eat all that meat you know just to <laughs> for, for a number of reasons um, but so one of the foods I think that was most surprising to me was this Sudanese dish called alcida and they and it translate alcida translates as porridge and so for weeks, my students would tell me about Alcida. Oh, Teacher Grace, we're going to make you Alcida someday. I mean, it's this traditional Sudanese dish. You're really going to love it. Porridge is so... And I'm thinking, like, por like oatmeal. Like, <laughs> sounds, this doesn't sound, <laughs> like, so very earth-shattering. But um, so towards the end of my time uh, in Jordan, uh, a couple of Sudanese families had us over and made Alcida for us. And I porridge is just perhaps a misdirect or a mistranslation entirely. It's, 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 sort of, it's a meat and uh, it's sort of a meat and carb dish, but it was very, it was very, it was really unusual and totally departed from what I thought it was going to be. It was red meat of some kind in kind of this like thin sauce. And so, and then the porridge part is this, I mean, it's, it's basically flour and water and some other things in there too. I really couldn't say, but it was by far one of the most perplexing dishes I had. I, and I think one of the more one of the simpler dishes. I mean, it's Sudanese food very different than Jordanian or Palestinian food, which, you know, takes hours and hours to <laughs> to prepare and stuff like that. <laughs> One of the like more interesting food revelations that I had when I was over there was had to do with jollof rice, which is a West African rice dish. It's basically white rice that you cook with in a kind of, uh, instead of water, you cook it in like a kind of spicy tomato stew. So the rice ends up being really this kind of rich, very spicy, hot tomato kind of stew. And I mean, for Nigerians, jollof rice is... I mean, it's a go-to staple. You see it all the time. People, you know, it's often like a, a kind of family Sunday dish. And there's very, very intense competition about who makes the best jollof rice. What is the real jollof rice? I'm doing air quotes for that. Like, also, many countries in West Africa have their own version of jollof rice, and they all think that each other's is the worst and only theirs is the true best one. So I, and we spent some time in Ghana also, so they have their own jollof rice there that they think is the best. I'm, I don't mind going on the record here and saying that from my own personal perspective that I think Nigerian is the, the best one. I always found it to be uh, the most flavorful and spicy, which is, you know, that's what I need. I need the heat in the jollof rice and I found it in Nigeria. So getting to, to, to learn about that was great. And we had a friend of a friend was a very excellent cook in Lagos, and we got her to come over one day and do a kind of Nigerian cooking lesson. So I tried my hand at making jollof rice, 
it turned out very well that time when I had the sh like the chef watching over my shoulder. I've tried to make it at home since then, and I feel like the, the texture is not quite right, so I'm still working on it. Um, it's a kind of learning process, but that you know that was one. And now I just I feel like I see jollof rice all the time now on Twitter and social media. It's like it's a huge thing. That was like a kind of cultural insight that I wasn't really aware of before I went on this trip. But now I kind of see that jollof is like this touchstone for like it's kind of like a key to unlocking a lot of West African culture. If you can also, if you can go up to people on the street and tell them that their country's jollof is the best um, or the worst, you know, depending on what kind of relationship you want to have with that person, then that's always an in. And everyone, you know, I remember one time I even went to, I was in Ghana and I was trying to go to uh, get a visa to go to Togo um, next door. And we went into the Togolese embassy and some of the, the people working there were watching a cooking show on TV about Jollof. And they were and they, they were Togolese, so they have their own like version of what this is supposed to look like. And the thing that was on the TV was Senegalese Jollof, which is like completely different. It has fish. It's like a totally different thing. And they were so shocked by what they were seeing and having this very heated conversation. And I went in and I saw, oh, you're watching this show about Jollof. And they, yes, can you believe like what you're seeing on this thing? It's crazy. And I then I said something about how I preferred Nigerian Jollof, which then I thought they were going to reject my visa application because of that. But they, we ended up kind of having a friendship in the end because of that. So that, that, was, that was really great. Yeah. Mexican food is something that got me whenever I come to the States. It's all like Mexican breakfast, lunch, dinner, you know. Uh, it's something that you cannot get in Ukraine. I've been trying Mexican restaurants here too many times, and they're all dreadful. It's like it's uh, food from the grocery store. It's bad, and it, it's too expensive. But I remember a time when a friend of mine, Sergey, actually came to visit a couple of times, um, the guy that we co-founded the studio with, and we... We went to a random Mexican restaurant in Chicago, not even a restaurant, something like a cafe or buffet, and we ordered a couple of things, and suddenly we had a table full of food. And it was very delicious. It was awesome, and it was so cheap. And I recall, I recall that, I still recall that lunch. We could barely stand up, you know? And it was all great. We could not, we could not stop, but also we could not continue, you know? And it was great. And, you know, whenever I, whenever I come back to the States, um, and I, I love going to States for conferences and other stuff for a week or two. And uh, yeah, it's Mexican. I remember I flew into New York um, in April last year for a training. My plane landed and I um, came to my friend's apartment in, I think, Washington Heights, uh, New York. And uh, they were like, what do you want to eat? I'm like, Mexican, let's go. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, it's something it's something that I that I really miss. But also having a diversity in food, you know, it's uh, whatever whatever food you want to try, be it Afghan or you know, Indian or Thai, it's all, um, it's usually made by immigrants who actually know how to do it, who are great at it. And I think they put a lot of passion into what they do. And uh, so it's a very different experience. I was really used to Slavic food because my family is Polish and I had lived in Russia. Um, so there wasn't too much that surprised me, but there is a special 
oh gosh, and now I'm forgetting what it's called. Um, it's a special drink that's made out of smoked fruit. So it's like smoked apricots and, and other dried fruits that are then soaked and the essence of them is like derived into the water that they're soaked in and you drink that. It's got a very, we'd say in Russian, specifichiski taste. Like it's like very um, specific or strange. And I, I really didn't like this, but when my husband came to visit me, I was like, you gotta try this, this drink. <laughs> what do you think of this drink? Um, and he, uh, he tried it and told me that it tasted like dirt. So yeah, specific is a way to describe that that particular beverage but um other than that no i mean uh nothing too crazy i had been exposed to jellied meats and all manner of pickled meats and vegetables before uh before i i lived in in ukraine We had the international day where we were representing our backgrounds and we cooked food and stuff. So I was like, I had no cooking skills, but now I had to cook for like 40 people. And so I called my mom up and uh, I was like, what can I do? And so I ended up making these cheeseburgers with bacon and cheese inside of them. And I spent so much time in it. I had a lot of help, but I do remember it finally coming out and I'm like, this isn't half bad. And then I noticed that not many people had it. And I'm like, oh, well, my confidence just went down. And then someone explained to me that the number of Muslims that were there. And that's the first time that I ever considered something like that because of the, you know, bacon and pork inside it. And so I realized that that's when I started thinking about other cultures more um, and getting a, a larger perspective. And that was within the US. Um, so something simple like that really opened my eyes. I think the sensation of feeling foreign was definitely something that became less and less foreign as my program went on. But I think my first sort of moment of, of I guess what they call like culture shock on exchange was my very first day. I was exhausted after around 48 hours of, of cumulative travel. You know, I was getting my first doses of, of Indian mosquito bites and the heat and the humidity. And I, I show up, I had just come home from the airport with my host family and it was lunchtime there. And Back at home, it was around, you know, 1 a.m., so I certainly was not hungry. But, of course, my host family had taken me home. They were excited to show me the food, um, which is a, a huge part of Indian culture in my experience. So we sat down to lunch, and I just remember tasting my first bite and it being so incredibly spicy. <laughs> um, it definitely, like, was not used to the palate. Came to love it later on, but I remember sitting there, and in uh, Indian culture, uh, where here in the U.S. we have a lot of in or direct communication, um, in India, it's very much indirect. So the communication style was very, very different on my first day. Certainly hadn't gotten used to it. And so in India, it's customary when you don't want more food to say bus, which means the Hindi word for like enough. You have to be very, very firm with it. There's like a very specific way to do it. I, of course, was not so familiar with it. So I just you know, was not able to express all the food kept on coming. And I remember sitting there just trying new food after new food and realizing, wow, like this is this is crazy but also simultaneously like the greatest adventure I've ever taken on.
2233 is produced by The Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name's Christopher Wurst. I'm the director of The Collaboratory. 2233 is named for Title 22, Chapter 33 of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. Sharers of Crazy Food Stories this week were Irena Volnitz, Richie Mathis, Grace Benton, Alexi Foreman, Tim McDonnell, Nina Jankowitz, Luke Tyson, and David Rader. We thank them for their stories and for their willingness to share and to try new things. For more about ECA exchanges, you can check out eca.state.gov. For more about 2233, you can write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. You can find complete episode transcripts of every episode at our webpage, eca.state.gov slash 2233. Special thanks this week to everyone for trying new food and for sharing their stories about it. Featured music during this segment was Kentucky Oysters by George Russell. At the top of this episode, Monkeys Spinning Monkeys by Kevin McLeod, and the end credit music, as always, Two Pianos by Tagir Lewis. Until next time. <laughs>